This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, December 21st. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, town and county decline Diamond Ridge offers. Light returns. A look back, Eurovan celebrates Easter. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Egner lost a member of its community on Wednesday night. David Wesley Ayers died peacefully at home, surrounded by family. He was 92 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Ayers lived and worked in San Miguel County his whole life. His father, Charles, homesteaded the Egner area in the 1800s. Ayers was born in Egner, working in the mines in Silverton in the 50s, then in the mines in Yerevan in the 60s. Finally, he worked for Roden Bridge in the 70s. The coroner's office said he went on disability due to lung disease he developed from mining, still working the family farm with only one quarter of lung capacity. Ayers had been on oxygen for 60 years, but still appeared unstoppable. Ayers is survived by his children, Barbara, Sandy, Davis, Don, Denny, and Don Bow, his 25 grandchildren, his 24 great-grandchildren, and his 10 great-great-grandchildren. A true father of San Miguel County, the coroner's office says, he will be greatly missed. Faced with a pair of unsolicited offers on their land at Diamond Ridge, Telluride and San Miguel County have declined to sell. Of the offers, says County Manager Mike Bordonia. Um, we received one back in October. We received another offer on the property um, earlier this month, both of which were um, over a million dollars less than what the town and county have invested in the property thus far. Both offers came through Telluride Real Estate Brokers Incorporated, the first from Pamela Bennett at an amount of $6.3 million, and the second from Dirk DePochter and Nicholas Farku for $6.15 million on the of this month. The government's acquired the land for $7.21 million in 2022. From the county commissioner's perspective, continues Bordonia. To take a million dollars less than what we spent um, didn't seem wise. They're not making more land, and land that can be served by town water, um, potentially town sewer, um, within a close a radius of the employment centers, education, health care centers. Um, is only going to become more scarce in the future. A year ago this week, District Court Judge J. Stephen Patrick reversed San Miguel County's rezoning of the Diamond Ridge parcels to build 240 units of affordable housing. In the intervening 12 months, the land on Deep Creek Mesa has stood windswept and vacant, while ongoing litigation and appeal efforts have made little progress. Meanwhile, the Colorado Department of Local Affairs has pulled a $5 million grant, which would have funded the development. The lawsuit was brought by a group of concerned neighbors. DePochter, Farku, and Bennett are all listed as plaintiffs in the suit. DePochter explains the group had hoped to purchase the land, and he says, You know, ultimately we would love to do some conservation uh, easements on it if possible, but uh, our objective is, is to, again, you know, keep the Deep Creek Mesa as whole as it can be as far as its agricultural intent, you know, and the elk corridors and all those kinds of things that we currently have. So that's that's really our objective is keep it as it is. 
Additionally, says DePoctor, the group had hoped that governments would take the offer as an off-ramp from what they claim is an unviable project. We have a financial mess. Whether we like it or not, it's a financial mess, and that should be unwound. And we were hoping that you know, by offering this off-ramp, that you know, we could more or less start reuniting the community again behind the common goal of a good quality of life, open space and wildlife protection, as well as you know, trying to focus on truly providing affordable housing. Faced with the offer brought by DePoctor and Farku, the county and town met in separate executive sessions, meetings closed to the public, and came to similar decisions declining. Regarding their plans for the land long term, Bordonia says, There's been no decision of what they would want to do. However, they they did indicate, my commissioner has indicated, um, as well as the town council, I understand, said the same, that if the choice is made to dispose of the property, that they'll list it and do it through an open fair market transaction. In a written statement, the town of Telluride confirmed its agreement with this position. As litigation continues, Telluride in the county plan to hold an executive session in early 2024 to form a strategy going forward. On Thursday, December 21st, the Northern Hemisphere celebrates the shortest day of the year. In San Miguel County, the sun rose at 7.23 a.m. and set at 4.55 p.m. on the winter solstice. I don't observe Christmas. I observe solstice. And I personally find that the even on a cellular level, the knowing that the days are growing longer and that more sunlight is coming our way is just such a beautiful feeling this time of year. As much as we love winter, I think there's a very real understanding that it it sounds really nice to have nights not be quite so long. (laughs) That's Joanna Yonder, San Miguel County Poet Laureate. It's a celebration of light. It's a celebration of the wheel of the year, the turning, um, the fullness that comes with these sort of hibernation times, the dark, the coziness, and... um, And the understanding that the other end of the spectrum is coming back around as well. The sunshine and and growing things and summer. Yonder stopped by KOTO to share one of her poems, Incantation for an Orbit, in honor of the winter solstice. Incantation for an Orbit. Final moon slice of the year shines here. Time has come, the year grown round. So summarize the seasons past. If spring grew thin, if summer golden, how the fall blew by. Descends the year quite of a sudden into ripeness, sweetened like a pumpkin. Tally further, rise a moon, soul to earth and soul sky high, the groundness and the soaring like a dance. Follow back. Your creek bed through the year, the wanderings and reckonings, the twists and turns and where you steadfast flowed, the dry times and the flooding. As you flow, the imbrications leave a track of what transpired. Good matters not, nor ill, just whether in your core of being you grew deeper. Did new roots grow? Did you expand? A nod and bow to these parts of your being. No need to parse each seed that dropped. This isn't any carry reckoning. For what amounts is this? So here you are, the year gone by, a layer grown of cambium and wisdom, and in your very heartwood something stronger. 
rejuvenate another orbit this new year and ancient sun. Cold it creaks and warm it rises, bees they know the spring will come. You've had your moment looking backward. Now's the time to burrow down, breathe deep again, and turn, turn, turn. That was San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Yonder sharing her poem Incantation for an Orbit. On Friday, the sun will rise a little earlier and set a little later as summer slowly begins to return. As 2023 draws to a close, Kodo News is looking back and rerunning some of the big stories, or at least our favorites, from the last year. Today, we're rewinding to April, when the community of what once was Yerevan gathered to celebrate Easter. It's mid-morning in Yerevan, Colorado, on Easter Sunday. The San Miguel River runs thick and brown with spring mud through the desert canyon, and the sky is cloudless. Bare trees cast shadows over the earth, mottled with sand and thick patches of the early wildflowers. Below the canopy of the ballpark, a small group is gathering for an Easter service. Brother Mark, once he's done, we're going to eat, so everybody get your bellies ready. In the 1980s, the federal government declared the uranium mines and the town of Yerevan itself contaminated and embarked on a decades-long cleanup that involved relocating the town's residents and scraping their homes from the earth. Around 10 years ago, the cleanup was declared complete, and the old community ballpark was repurposed as a campground and picnic area. Gary Reeves, who was born in Yerevan, says the Easter service taking place today dates back to a tradition held by the town itself. We had a thing of uh, sunrise services at crosses down on the cliffs above the forks of the river. Uh, there's a confluence of the uh, Dolores and San Miguel rivers. Every Easter, we would uh, the church here in Yerevan would do an Easter sunrise services at those crosses. Once the uh, town went down, we it, you know it just pretty much stopped. Reeves moved to Grand Junction when the federal government began its cleanup efforts. But he and his wife visited Yerevan often, and at one point he decided it was time to revive the tradition. I thought we drove, stopped at the old place where the crosses were, and I took, looked at her and I told her, I said, I think I want to get this started back up again. So that year, I built some new crosses, and we were doing it down in the old spot out on the cliffs, and, but there were so many, even myself included, getting older, and then my parents were older, you know, at that time, and couldn't crawl across the rocks to get out to the crosses. So I think it was four years ago, we moved it here to the ballpark. The sermon is offered by Pastor Mark Jones of Nucla, and Dan Williams, pastor at the New Hope Pentecostal Church in Natarita, speaks as well. In his remarks, Jones says he's faced medical difficulty in the past years, and it's the strength of the congregation which has gotten him through. Part of the reason that he and I are both here is because you guys pray. Amen. Amen. So from my standpoint, I want to thank you guys for your prayers. Mm -hmm. I certainly want to thank God for me allowing me to be here and 
allowed me to share with you guys this morning as well, but, but I really want to thank all of you. The service is followed by a lunch, a long potluck of deviled eggs and beans, potato salad, and coconut pies. Jordan Grant was born in Yerevan and moved to Montrose. He says any opportunity to come back is a trip into memory. But yeah, it's pretty fun see people you haven't seen for 40 years, 30 years. Uh, but the terrain never changes. It's, you know, it's every rock looks the same. <laughs> but but the town itself is kind of kind of disappeared. Nice to have this ballpark kind of preserved for the for everybody to come visit. Alongside those from Yerevan, the service brings together a collection of congregations from the area. Bonnie Yardley of Nukla said she came to see her pastor speak, but agrees the whole West End is a place rich with history. There's a lot of memories. Uh, my husband and I, we married in 1974. He worked in the, in the mines for Union Carbide till they closed down. We've, we've seen... Nukla being a thriving town with stores to not very much now, but it's still home. Amidst lunch and sparkling blue skies, Yerevan marks another Easter. To find more of KOTO's featured stories from the past year, go to KOTO.org and click Featured News Stories under the News tab. From Bing Crosby to Mariah Carey, music fills the holiday season. And this year, the Sheridan Opera House has you covered. The Opera House is busting at the seams with a stellar lineup of musical acts as we head into the new year. Kicking off the holiday concert series is Grammy Award-winning artist Sean Colvin on Wednesday, December 27th. Local singer-songwriter Jewel will take the stage on Thursday, December 28th. Azamatli, a group hailing from Los Angeles bringing a blend of urban Latino hip-hop and salsa, will heat up the stage on Friday, December 29th. Saturday, December 30th, we'll see Brass Queens, a female-led brass band finding the intersection of the Big Apple and the Big Easy. Finally, ring in the new year with the Motown New Year's Eve Gala with the Motortown All-Stars. Tickets for the Sheridan Arts Foundation's holiday concert series are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Teach a man to fish a lot, and he might win $3,000. That sum is the first place prize in an upcoming fishing tournament sponsored by Colorado Parks and Wildlife in the Blue Mesa Reservoir, east of Montrose. Second place will walk with $1,500. Third place, $1,000. Smaller sums will be distributed to the runners-up. The objective catch as many lake trout as possible between January 1st and April 30th of 2024. In addition to offering some dedicated fishermen a cash infusion, the tournament aims to reduce lake trout populations in the reservoir in order to maintain a balance between trout and kokanee salmon, two species competing for survival in Blue Mesa. CPW ran similar tournaments at the reservoir in 2020 and 2021, but it's taken a break for the last two years as trout populations rebounded. 
to participate. Anglers who catch a lake trout measuring less than 24 inches in length can turn in the head or the whole fish to the CPW office in Montrose or leave it at a drop box at a reservoir boat ramp. Nearly 225,000 acres of land from Garfield to Gunnison counties could be protected from future oil and gas leasing. The U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management hosted a meeting on Monday to discuss the proposed mineral withdrawal from the Thompson Divide. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Caroline Yanis of Aspen Public Radio has more. In its draft analysis, the U.S. Forest Service said the benefits of protecting the Thompson Divide's natural resources, like wildlife habitat and recreation opportunities, were greater than the potential for oil, gas, and mining development in the next 20 years. Alicia Retzloff is with the Forest Service and is the project manager for the Thompson Divide project. Submit your comments by January 8th. So these are comments that address the proposal, they address the analysis, they're really specific to these documents that we've produced. I like to say that it's often folks help us find a lot of our flaws. They help us find where we need to make our analysis better. Officials at Monday's meeting also acknowledged the long history of grassroots activism and local support that went into the proposed withdrawal. They say the Secretary of the Interior is expected to make a decision on the withdrawal this spring. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. As we've reported, a state Supreme Court ruling on Tuesday blocks Donald Trump from appearing on Colorado ballots next year. The state's highest court decided Trump should be disqualified because of his involvement in the January 6th insurrection. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods talked to a few voters to gauge their reactions. Trump supporter Mike Mikma lives in Littleton, Colorado. He thinks the ruling is politically motivated. Somebody got into office, and after they got into office, they began going after their rivals in elections. David Parson lives in Denver. He's worried about the ripple effects this legal battle is having on everyday people. There's a lot of people just caught up with the media and they're not really connecting with other people. They need to just pull themselves together, put their pride aside, and, you know, start helping. Fort Collins resident Kirsten Hitchcock is proud of what the court has done. I feel he's a dictator. It, it would just be, I think, the worst thing for our society and our government and the citizens of this country to have him have any ounce of power. The ruling upholds a lawsuit filed in September on behalf of a group of Republican and unaffiliated Colorado voters. The Trump campaign says it will appeal the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court. The future of the Colorado River hangs in the balance, but negotiations about its fate are mostly behind closed doors. Policymakers gathered in Las Vegas to share some updates with the public, and water users from around the West chimed in with their own hopes for the river's future. KUNC's Alex Hager was there. One thing we do know about the next set of rules, negotiators still have a long way to go before they're set in stone. John Ensminger represents Nevada. There's tensions, but at the same time, I do believe there's been an acknowledgement that every state is going to have to be part of the solution. So I view that as progress. I view the meetings that happened here this week uh, as, as progress. On a stage in front of hundreds of people, Ensminger said the new guidelines will be a, quote, messy compromise that will be judged harshly by history. But he also said it'll be better than the supply-demand gaps of the past. 
if you look at the last 25 years of the Colorado River, you know, these imperfect, messy compromises, step by step by step, have gotten us much closer to equilibrium than we were at the turn of the century. Another thing that started coming into focus at the Vegas conference, those new rules are only going to be part of a long-term fix. Elizabeth Kobley researches water policy at the University of Nevada, Reno. We're never going to get a perfect solution. He did mention the term silver buckshot, so kind of the opposite of a silver bullet. You go at a, at a problem with lots of small solutions. People outside of those closed-door negotiations are adding their two cents and working on that patchwork of solutions. Tribes, for example, have long been left out of discussions about how the river is managed, but they're starting to have more say. Stephen Rowe Lewis, governor of the Gila River Indian community in Arizona, says they can help states work on conserving water. We have the potential to be tremendous allies. Lewis said the 30 tribes that use Colorado River water need to be included going forward. Not just a seat at the table, we want to build upon them. You know, we, we want to be able to control the agenda that is for the betterment of all of, of the basin, for the entire region. Around the West, there are also some calls to go beyond conserving water and to use technology to add more to the system. Adele Hodge Khalil runs the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, which is investing hundreds of millions into equipment that can turn sewage back into drinking water. We can be victims of nature and hydrology and climate change, or we can adapt to it. You adapt to it through creating uh, abundance and augmentation of water supply. Haj Khalil says right now we're not doing enough to add to that supply, which he says is like failing to put money away in your savings account. If you spend money paycheck to paycheck, there's times if you lose your job, you know, your family's at, at stake here. And the same thing we're doing here. Other water wonks suggested changes to how we calculate the amount of water that's actually in the river. Andy Mueller, who runs the Colorado River District, says it's time to start accounting for water lost to evaporation and leaky canals in Nevada, Arizona, and California. we got to measure that, and we've got to account for that in terms of the total consumptive use in the lower basin. That's what we need to do. Elizabeth Kobley, the Nevada water professor, has her own suggestions for changes to river math, like leaning harder on data from streams rather than the amount that's in reservoirs. She says she's happy innovative ideas are getting support, but... I think the devil's always sort of in the details of implementation when we, when we figure out how to actually make them work in a really complex water rights system. And at the close of river talks that included a broad range of solutions, maybe the only certain thing is that negotiations will end with that messy compromise. I'm Alex Hager in Las Vegas. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 25 degrees. Friday, expect partly sunny skies and a high near 40. Friday night brings a 70% chance of snow with a low around 30 degrees and possible accumulations of 1 to 3 inches. Snow should stick around both Saturday and Saturday night. Expect a daytime high in the mid-30s and an overnight low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, December 21st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. 
Hello, lovely Koto listeners. Claire here from Telluride Chamber Music to tell you about a super fun and family-friendly festive show we have coming up on December 29th at The Palm in collaboration with Palm Arts. This is something totally different and never seen before in Telluride. We have the amazing all-girl electric string trio Take Three coming to town for a night of holiday fun. Yes, you heard right. They'll be performing on electric violin, electric cello and piano, complete with a lighting show. The music will feature holiday tunes, classical favourites, movie themes and pop mashups that will be guaranteed to get every generation singing along. To get tickets to this festive treat for the ears, go to telluridechambermusic.org or telluridepalm.com. Advanced tickets are $35 for adults and $15 for students. Tickets on the door are $5 more. Thanks, everyone, and happy holidays. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.